Howdy, everyone. This is Arthur Staple, your faithful Islanders correspondent. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We've got a mailbag uh, of questions from Twitter today, so um, no guests, unfortunately. We've had a nice run of... uh, of some really interesting people come on the show these last few weeks and uh, time to hear from some of the fans online about uh, what they're thinking about with um, hockey seemingly in a bit of a holding pattern right now. We've had uh, the news in the last week of some positive COVID tests down in Tampa, out in Arizona, a um, couple of questions relating to those. And um, and yeah, they ask, you know, several Islanders are back skating at their practice rink on Long Island. Um small groups. I think the groups uh, are allowed to be expanded today. So I'm curious to see if there's players making their way back. There was also a a tweet that I saw. Uh, Leo Komarov and Mikhail Granlin were organizing a a charter flight for the guys back from Finland, the NHLers who are over there. I would assume that anybody coming from overseas is going to have to lay low for a little bit. So um, now seems like a good time for them to come over with the camp still on target to open July 10th, now uh, 17 days away. So we'll jump right into some questions from some of you readers and listeners. Um, my friend Dave, NYLINI311, uh, asked an interesting question that I don't know if I have a specific answer to, but I still like it. Uh, are you hearing pl- that whether players are talking to players in other sports about how they should handle the process going forward, how to be safe, talk, you know, talking to any Premier League or English soccer, or European soccer players about what they're doing? Uh, it's a good question, Dave, and you always have good questions, even when I see you at games. Um, I'm not. Uh, I haven't heard too much. I think. Uh, I think most of the players getting a lot of their information either from media, you know, social media or regular media, like the rest of us are, listening to guidelines from national health experts. Uh, the Players Association has their own medical and health experts that I assume disseminate information to all the players, whether it's on a conference call and then. Uh, the reps relay it to the to the rest of the team via group chat, um, so or via the teams. You know, I think the league has some resources as well. So, um, I think it's really a, so many unknowns and um, you know, kind of a day by day thing. I imagine that some players were really uh, caught off guard by the by the f- the flood. I guess you could call it a positive test. The league uh, then released some information that eleven of two hundred players who'd been tested. Uh, coming back for phase two, tested positive, um, which is not a crazy amount. It's not a small amount either, and it really only takes a couple to get lots of other people infected, as we've seen from uh, you know just anecdotal evidence and, and uh, scientific evidence around the country and around the world. So um, it's hard to know how to proceed. I think uh, most players would say that they do want to get back playing, Um We'll see if it even goes to a full up or down vote for the entire uh, union membership when it, when the time comes. Uh, a lot of these conversations between the league and the player association seem to be done with a smaller group of players. Um, there was a, a handful that was on a return to play committee to, to decide what the phases would be. Uh, now I think there's a larger group that's also rolling in some uh, CBA negotiations to extend the CBA. Um, so the league is really operating in a, in a much more low-key fashion than I think some of the other sports. You think of baseball and all the troubles that they've had that have gone public. The NBA has had some players come out and rather loudly say that uh, they're not comfortable with some of the, the return-to-play guidelines. But hockey has been uh, has been pretty quiet and has been chugging along. And uh, you know, I, I tend to feel like um, 
since phase two is voluntary and you're, you're going to see positive tests, I think when the guys get back from Europe or wherever they've been, you're going to see positive tests. I think, uh, you know, if you, if you follow a lot of the hockey players and, um, around the league on social media, Alex Ovechkin had a pretty big group that he was skating with down in Florida. Florida is a real hot spot now. I think we're going to see some positive tests out of that group possibly. And, um, it is cause for alarm, but I don't know how different it is than the rest of the, the rest of society and the rest of the, the country at large. So, um, and frankly, if guys are going to test positive, they do have time to, to isolate. Um, they can do some tracing, I think with, uh, with family members and things like that to hopefully keep the spread communally down and, and certainly within team situations down. Um, and we're still several weeks away from training camp and several more weeks away from the game. So if, uh, if they're going to find these positive tests, it's not going to shut things down right now. I think it's just more of a, a wake up call for everybody, players, staff, fans, everyone that being vigilant, washing your hands, wearing masks, all that kind of stuff that, uh, that health experts have been outlining to help slow the spread of this virus, uh, are hugely important and, um, you know, things that are going to keep uh, keep everybody healthy, uh, save lives out in the world, and save sports if there's going to be any sports to come. Um, along the lines, uh, John, uh, our uh, fabulously Twitter-handled Enrico Palazzo, uh, asks, how do you feel about the Austin Matthews COVID story? Um, at first, I thought it was a privacy issue myself, but these athletes constantly have it reported when they have the flu, whatever. Why should this be any different? Um, it's a good question. And, um, you know, I, there's privacy laws that sometimes get invoked, but those are more from, um, uh, those are more from a business standpoint. This is more of a, you know, I think somebody reporting information that they've gotten doesn't really fall under a HIPAA statute. Uh, this is where it helps me to have a healthcare attorney in the family. And, um, she's always reminding me that HIPAA is a statute that applies to government communications and, and is not necessarily um, a, a privacy issue among regular folks or the media. Um, it's still a concern, obviously, um, but also there's a concern about players and spreading this uh, this virus, as we were talking about. There, there's talk, and nobody has really confirmed anything, that that group of players that was skating in Arizona along with Matthew, they weren't at the Coyotes facility. They were at a different one, so they didn't have to go through any testing protocol to get back there. Um, uh, so, you know, it's uh, it, it remains to be seen how that all went down and how it was uh, leaked out. Um, you know, you didn't see too much follow-up on that story, so I imagine that uh, the Leafs and the league were not happy about it. But, um you know, and whether people have a right to know about that, you know, if you're hanging out at a bar in Scottsdale and Austin Matthews comes in, I suppose you'd want to know, but that goes for everybody. Um, you know, we have to see as far as the NHL is concerned, what they're going to do. I imagine, uh, when training camps officially start, whether they will have some sort of protocol about announcing positive tests, I can't imagine they're going to identify individual players. That would probably be up to the players themselves or maybe even the teams, um, but the league is the one are the ones that um, I think will be kind of responsible for disseminating that information and whether they want to reveal anything specific is uh, is highly unlikely. Um, so, you know, it's it's part of the media. You know, if, if somebody told me that uh, a member of the Islanders had tested positive, I would certainly make sure I try to get it confirmed. But uh, it's still newsworthy. And, um, 
you know, I don't think you're you're crossing any lines that way. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of people, coaches, general managers, uh, league releases specify who has it. Um, but I think once we get into the bubble of training camp and then further the bubble of the hub cities, if they can make it that far in August, uh, it'll be pretty apparent who's out and who's, you know, we, we're used to it. I, I don't mean to chuckle. This is such a serious situation, but we're used to upper body, lower body when it comes to, it used to just be the playoffs. And now it's at all times, upper body, lower body, sometimes not even that, that, uh, that vague description even gets it. Sometimes it's just, uh, Injured, you know. I think Barry Trotz uh, has started to adopt that, where they don't even specify upper or lower sometimes. So um, it's uh, to to fold in an absence due to a positive virus test when the, the teams are all uh, in their in their hub city bubble. Um, you know, it'll probably get out, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the league and the teams sort of dance around the situation of having to remove a player from a roster or remove a player from the hub city uh, and isolate them if they do test positive and how that even would come about uh, being in the bubble. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I sound like a, a fumbling idiot because I know as much, I think, as all the fans know, and certainly as players know, this is a rapidly evolving situation, you know, to sit here and talk about these hub cities, whether it could be Vegas or Edmonton or LA and uh, you know Vegas and LA those counties are reporting huge increases in cases right now and it makes it seem silly we think about Florida where the NBA is committed to going and and how the cases are rising there exponentially and we sit here and think just a couple months ago when everyone th- would have thought it completely absurd to have anything in New York because uh, the tri-state area was so hard hit by the virus um, uh, and now it's uh, it's kind of a model of how masking lockdowns and and social distancing has has helped really slow the numbers to uh, to a lot a lot less than it had been not nothing but certainly a lot less and uh, um, yeah it's uh, you know in another few weeks from now it could be someplace else so it's uh, it's hard to imagine uh, how we're going to proceed uh, but they certainly do seem like they're going to. Um, Andrew Wells with an, with a good question more about uh, cap management going forward, which is going to be a huge issue uh, whether or not they can resume this season. Um, assuming the, the Islanders will be tight around the cap even after some moves, they'll need cheap production. Do you believe it'll be a fight between Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom, or could they both make the roster? If it's a fight, which one do you think will win out? Um, you know, I think uh, I think we have to wait and see what sort of CBA negotiations are going on and what they decide going forward for the next few years. I think we're going to see a flat cap for at least the next couple of seasons, maybe even something that dips a little bit. I'm still I'm still skeptical from talking to people around the around the league who are also skeptical that the, of a way forward without amnesty or compliance buyouts where they a team could at least shed one onerous contract because the Islanders, uh, as we've said many times, if the cap stays at 81.5 million for next year, they've already got 70 million in salary cap commitments without a Matthew Barzell contract, without a Ryan Pollock contract, without a Devon Taves contract. And I assume they have those three guys very much in their plans for next season. So, uh, and also without a second goalie signed for next year. So um, there's still a lot to be, uh, hashed out, I imagine. Uh, there's still a lot of unknowns. 
if we enter uh, next season with no compliance buyouts, then uh, you know I I think it's you'd be hard pressed to see a team without Bellows or Wallstrom, and I think the chances are better that you have both of them making the opening night roster rather than one or neither, because uh, you know Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello like their younger players to develop slowly, but. Times have changed, and certainly in the last few months, times have really changed, and you have to be able to adapt to the cap system. Um, They both have to a certain extent, even though they like their veterans. um, You're going to have to like your cheaper, younger players a lot more. And and of the players that they have, those two and probably Otto Koivula, as far as the forwards, are three guys that could provide some production uh, from the middle six, bottom six area, um, and do it on entry-level salaries. So... um, yeah, I think, I think if you had to rank one ahead of the other right now, uh, Bellows is probably a little bit further along just because he's a few years older. Um, I think Wallstrom certainly has a higher ceiling, so maybe he's able to reach that when they when they get back. And I imagine um, hearing the news that uh, that teams can bring thirty players back to their training camps that start on July tenth, and then twenty eight to bring into the Hub City. I think you're going to see both of those guys uh, at least be part of the camp. I don't know if they'll make it on to uh, the 28th that travel, but um, they both had their their brief stints in the NHL, and um, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, young guys who are motivated how they handle themselves during this long layoff. If they were working hard, as you assume they would be, um, no kids at home, uh, a very different uh, dynamic to be staying in shape and and staying ready. Uh, and certainly the hungry that you know the hunger that they'll both have to try to impress uh, like they would in a normal training camp. So they might be able to jump ahead of a veteran guy up front um, when they're starting to. When you see Barry Trotz and his coaching staff making their evaluations for who gets to go to the Hub City. Along those lines, uh, Michael goes by Islander Junkie says, "Is Andrew Ladd in the bottom six when play gets started?" Um, if that, yeah, you know, I think uh, he was up uh, right before the the shutdown and had his first goal in his uh, near his hometown in Vancouver uh, in the last game before everything shut down. Um, but he was really up, you know, out of necessity. There were still some injuries. Uh, Casey Zekas was out. Um, Michael Dalcall's play had slipped a little bit. So. Um, you know, I think I'm curious to see with everybody healthy where he slots in. You know, I think at the beginning of the season where everybody slot, when everybody was healthy for a brief time, he was not really even the first or second alternate when it came to the top 12. You know, he was not the guy that uh, that ended up being recalled when he finally got healthy. Um, he was sort of a court of last resort. Um so I don't know. I'm sure he'll be there when the teams do reassemble, but I'm not sure that he has a role right now. You've got uh, you've got a healthy Casey Zizekas. You've got uh, a healthy Cal Clutterbuck, who, even though he was playing, was not really at full health. Um, so you know the fourth line is intact. The third line is really the spot I think where there's one you know question mark. You've got uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot at center there. Derek Broussard is probably almost certainly going to be on one side. And then that other wing, you've got Dal Call, you've got Leo Komarov, you've got Andrew Ladd, you've got Tom Kunakel, um, you've got Kiefer Bellows, you've got Oliver Wallstrom. So it's a lot of guys and really only one spot that you'd say that's that's a spot where we might have to, you know, we might have some question marks. And uh, if Ladd can come in and, and uh, you know, I think 
this is where two weeks of training camp is going to, you know, there is some competition for, for a spot and, uh, uh, it's going to be pretty fierce because there's going to be a a lot of extra guys looking for that one toehold there. So lad's got a shot, but, uh, but I don't think he's at the front of the line. Um, Neil Goldberg, Neil MSBGC, uh, with a good question. Not to go the full tinfoil hat, but I imagine if Kirill Kaprizov and Ilya Sorokin's rights were owned by the Penguins and Rangers, they would already be signed and the league would heavily be promoting their debuts. Do you feel there's something a little off about their hardline stance? Um, now, I get it. You know, I've been around you Islander fans for a long, long time, so I understand the, the, the feeling of, um, of uh, having a target on your back. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not just... You know, that the league views uh, the Islanders as a second-class citizen. Um, So I I am, you know, I have heard that mentioned some other places that, uh, you know, this is a Minnesota team that that owns Kaprizov's rights and the Islanders own Sorokin's rights. But you have to also factor in Lou Lamarillo is the president and GM of the Islanders, and he is a guy that carries a lot of sway with the NHL. Uh, Craig Leopold, the wild owner, also carries a lot of sway with the NHL. So I don't think it's particularly targeted at them. Um, I wonder if the pushback would be a little bit more urgent if it was uh, the Penguins and the Rangers because they are two big draws when it comes to broadcasting, which also always plays a role. Um, So uh, it's fair to wonder why this has gone on so long. Um, You know, I think this week... In regards to Sorokin, you know, I've been in regular touch with Dan Milstein, his agent. Um, it's been a lot of, yeah, we're still in a holding pattern. Nothing's happened. Ilya's still over in Moscow waiting for the word to come over. Um, and we're getting tighter to the July 10th start. You know, we've talked about the, the Finns chartering a plane to come over. They're going to have to quarantine when they get over here for a little while, I would imagine, and get tested right away. And Ilya Sorokin doesn't have a visa. He doesn't have a contract. Uh, he did, has maybe a place to stay, but um, it's it's not a familiar place to him. So there's a lot of th- unknowns for him, even once he puts pen to paper, if they can, uh, the NHL reverses its stance and, and decides that uh, unsigned draft choices who were signed during the, the lockdown can be eligible for 1920, or at least their contracts can be eligible for 1920. Um, you know, at this late date, I wonder if Sorokin would even come over to participate in the camp. I mean, I think that's the ideal scenario, but uh, but I think there's even a, a, a scenario where the Islanders just want to get his name on a contract so they can burn this one year of his entry-level deal and sign him to a, a restricted free agent contract for 2021. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, you'd have to think it's a possibility he signs a deal with his KHL team, CSKA, uh, that he's played for the last six years uh, with an out clause to come to the NHL whenever the NHL begins to the, the 2021 season, because it certainly doesn't seem like it's going to be in October, um, just so he can have a place to play. Um, I can't imagine he's going to come over here, participate in the camp for a couple weeks, and then be the third goalie, I would guess, to go to the Hub City but not play, and then go back home at the end of you know the, the Islanders' playoff run. It's... It, it all seems very um, curious as to how it's going to go. Uh, I don't think anybody can say for sure. The one thing you can say for sure is if the PA uh, fights hard enough in their CBA negotiations or whatever talks they're having with the league to get them off of this this change to a rule that's existed for a long, long time, 
And this year applies to only a handful of guys, Sorokin, Kaprizov, a couple other Russians that the Panthers and Canadians have uh, have signed or want to sign, and then a couple of college draft picks, uh, including the Hobie Baker winner, Scott Perunovich, who belongs uh, in the Blues organization. Um, it is strange that it's they've taken such a hard-line stance. Um, I don't know whether it's because they don't want someone to come in uh, and take a job when everyone is healthy. Um or if they feel, uh, you know, there's been some pushback from certain owners, maybe the Canucks who have to play the Wild in the first round uh, and don't want to see Kaprizov come in and light them up in the qualifying round uh, as kind of a, a, a an August surprise, if you will. Uh, although it's certainly, you know, everybody remembers what Kale McCarr did for the Avalanche in the playoffs last year. Charlie McAvoy did it for the Bruins. Chris Kreider did it for the Rangers. Uh, there's lots of examples. So um, <clears throat> I don't know. If it's going to change, this week is kind of an important week to see if it will change, so that there'll be time to get him over here if Sorokin does choose to come. Um, but they really want to get him signed and want to get on with his Islanders career. So uh, I don't know if you can get out the tinfoil hat on this one, but, uh, but like I said, this is a big week. Uh, and Anthony Pisano asks, the Islanders arena situation, or lack thereof, had to be a major factor in Artemi Panarin's decision to sign with the Rangers over the Isles. Do you think... All of this NHL-wide hype attention surrounding Belmont could attract more big-name players in the near future. Um, well, that's the goal, right? I mean, in addition to having a state-of-the-art building uh, for the first time in franchise history and um, knowing where they're going to play for a long time starting in 2122, uh, you'd want to appeal to players. There's a lot more than that that goes into it, though, I think. Um you know, there, there's players that sign all over the league because of whatever reason, and, and they're, they're not going into state-of-the-art buildings necessarily. You know, Edmonton just opened a new building. It's still a tough place to get free agents to go because it's Edmonton. I think Long Island has a similar um, stigma is the wrong word, but it's, there's some hesitation, and I think we've seen it in my time covering this team. <clears throat> excuse me, you've seen Lubomir Vizhnovsky, who was traded for, didn't want to report. There was some family issues there, but I'm sure he wasn't eager to end his career on Long Island. Uh, Evgeny Nabokov claimed off waivers, similar situation. Both those guys ended up loving it here. And I think that's uh, the hardest obstacle for a lot of um, players to get over is to believe their friends who play on the island or believe the islanders themselves when they say this is actually a nice place to live and work. Um, having Belmont will be great. Having the Coliseum back was also a benefit. But um, but I think when you get players to tour Northwell and say, this is where you're going to spend the bulk of your time and this is a state-of-the-art place and you can live five to ten minutes away in the same town uh, that most of the players live in, um, you know, there's there's some good selling points once you once you can get somebody to come here. Um, they haven't made a huge impact. They didn't make a huge impact with Panarin, who, from my understanding, wanted to be a Ranger all along. Whether that means he used the Islanders to get a little bit more salary out of the Rangers to make it look a little bit uh, less disparate, since the Islanders did offer him more, um, that's uh, no one can know that. But uh, but I think. The Rangers, uh, when you say the Rangers to, to players, they think of certain things. And when you say the Islanders to players who haven't played here, they think certain things. And it's something that's hard to change. And I think winning is a, is a thing that changes things the most. The arena will be nice. But if the Islanders can make a big run uh, in these next couple of years, I think that will show 
other players a little bit more than maybe a nice building coming in a couple of years. Uh, and lastly, uh, let's see. We did have some other good questions. Um, I'll give this one since for the first one I saw. Uh, my buddy Rob Tobb, who is the most active person on Islanders Twitter that I've ever met. He's all over the place with gifts, with pictures, everything. Uh, he said, would you fight Ross Johnston if you were 20 years younger for a large sum of money? Now, if I was 20 years younger, I'd be in my mid-20s. Uh, so I'd be a lot more broke than I am right now. Uh, so a large sum of money would definitely appeal to me. But starting off by fighting... Uh, the big boss is uh, is a little daunting. Um, even just standing next to Ross in the locker room, which is something I'm not going to get to do for a long time from now. Uh, it's uh, I'm a big guy and he is intimidating. Um, he's he's the most pleasant person to be around in the locker room, but uh, you can definitely tell that when uh, when it's time to get down to business, he is uh, he's not going to let up. So. Uh, a lot to think about, Rob. I appreciate the question. I'm going to say no right now. I'd probably want to start with somebody a little bit, uh, a little bit less intimidating uh, to fight, but I'd probably get less money for it. So you really have to weigh it. But um, anyway, that's a good one to finish on. Thanks for all your questions, everybody, and uh, hope I provided some uh, some good answers for you. We'll be back again next week with uh, our latest installment of No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from the Athletic. Enjoy the week, everyone. Maybe we'll have some positive news on the hockey front to come.